If you've got cigarette-smoking assassins or creepy serial killers outside your house, you know you better be insured to the teeth. That's why this week's sponsor of the Bloom Files is our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Truth is out there. And here, who knows? But either way, we're opening up the Bloom Files here on Post Show Recaps, the next Files Rewatch slash First Watch podcast. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here, breaking down two very interesting standalone <laughs> episodes of The X Files. You hear that voice chuckling next to me. We are the two voices that you were overhearing, much like a certain cigarette smoking man overheard Mulder and Scully talking, I guess. Angela Bloom, was that the, the first version of a podcast? Maybe. Them bugging the uh, everywhere. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's what it was, was that he he wanted to pass the time. And so he thought, let me put Just on a podcast. listen to these cool tapes. Yeah, my own The X-Files podcast starring Mulder Scully and special guest The Lone Gunman. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's possible. Yes, yeah, so we're breaking down two episodes today. We're breaking down uh, season four, episode seven, not season three, episode seven, Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man, season four, episode ten. Paper hearts. Uh, I mean, this really does feel like hallmarks of a series that has kind of like mm-hmm. found its footing in a manner of speaking. Totally. Not to say that it's been stumbling the first three seasons, but considering that we're about to get into one episode that is just like a flat out deep dive into one of its most mysterious characters. And then the other yeah. one, which is just, hey, remember all that stuff you learned? Uh, maybe it's not true. Yeah, uh, that and also like this is so uh but the first one's like sad in a different way it's like it's more d- like tragic yeah it's just like this guy's life man <laughs> pitiful well is it his life is the question yes that's, that's the big yes. thing to take away because that's something you really reminded me of as we get into musings of a cigarette smoking man is that to your point yeah you might get a sense of pity and or like a sense of danger around the cigarette smoking man but it should be couched the entire time in was it's fro hickey who says like oh yeah i read this yeah. out of a magazine Yes, and that they did some investigating. The lone gunman have been investigating him, and they, this is what they found out. So, I mean, I think you're supposed to take away that, yes, most of it is true, but that some of it could be fabricated, especially, like, the later scene where they're all sitting around the table and, yeah, like... Yeah, and then saying, like, we're gonna do Saddam, fix this. And Saddam this, Hussein calls. <laughs> Saddam Hussein's on speed dial. Let's fix the Oscars. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if anyone uh, watches one episode of the X-Files with the belief that like, oh, the government has a control and the Illuminati is real. Like, yeah, this was this, like a... This is their credo right yeah, there. But that's like exactly what the lone gunman thinks. So it's yeah. very much so in the in line with that. But I mean, we'll talk about it in the sense that maybe it all happened. Because I, I don't, I don't want to get too meta about it. No, I mean, I think it's very Jose Chung's from Outer Space where it's the proper story is going to be some sort of mix of the narrative that's yes. been presented to us. But all we have is what we saw. All we have is what we saw, and we're going to get into 
what we have to see. Uh, so we open on a quote here from Henry the Fourth. So highbrow, mm-hmm. for nothing can seem foul to those that win. Uh, essentially, like uh, history is written by the winners; they can do no wrong. I mean, it's not untrue. <laughs> not untrue, though. I feel like hopefully uh, nowadays when we're trying to explore narratives from many different right. angles. Yes, I do think we're a little bit more aware that history was written by the winners today, whereas in the past it was kind of like you, it was a narrative that they didn't really realize. Surprise, surprise, Angela has this episode opens. I'm confused because <laughs> so the Cigarette Smoking Man is, as we mentioned, sort of spying on hit on Mulder and Scully meeting with the lone gunman. The Cigarette Smoking Man, you're meant to believe, is always spying on them is constantly has everything bugged doesn't he have a life no and you see that (laughs) very clearly i guess that's true Mulder just visit him at home and he barely has anything and in this episode i mean the end of the episode when it's christmas and he's basically like i am gonna go home and write my novel which is just Mm -hmm. the saddest thing ever (laughs) yeah that's all the writers out there but i was confused more so from a location basis because to me the windows he was positioned outside looked a lot like the set they used when they went to Hong Kong. I'm sure it was. To take down Crytek. <laughs> so I was like, wait, are we... Because we know... There's that- also an episode where Mulder and Scully are on surveillance, like, for their... Oh, no. Mulder was, like, going back to surveillance already? Yeah, like, that was, like, the one of the beats that they were on because there was like a like some because sometimes they get assigned file like cases that have mm-hmm. nothing to do with the x-files like they're just on some oh, random thing so just well you have a week off so you might as well do some grunt fbi no work. i think it's more like they know that Mulder is an excellent profiler and yeah, scully I mean, we'll, is like we'll get into that but the second episode. scully is like a really good agent so sometimes they're pulled into things without like them necessarily wanting to be so yeah I, in a few episodes i forget when it happens but there's definitely an episode where they're doing surveillance and like um, you see that same yeah. location. I also thought for a second, <laughs> oh, he's setting up a camera, but no, he was very clearly setting up a sniper. Yeah. Rifle, so what right? I think, what I think happened is that he always has them bugged and he knows that Rohickey and the lone gunman are investigating him. So he's going to like take them out maybe. Yeah. But before he does, he's going to essentially listen to his life story or is it? Uh, and so. <laughs> We we flash back. Well, first we find out about his his dad, right? Yeah. That, so his dad was a communist spy. Yes, who was executed. Who was due executed? Espionage. I'm assuming the whole like. Uh, well, I don't know. The Red Scare type. Thing, I, I was gonna know. say how I'm thinking about how old he is. Like, does that relate to the whole J Edgar Hoover? Red I think scare so. Things? I think so. At least around that time. Um, and then his mother died of was a heavy smoker. Surprise, surprise, and died of lung cancer before he could. Yes, be. So which he is a big point in like the a, story. Yeah, like Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr style, was mm-hmm. orphaned basically at a very young age. Yeah, and then grew up in the Midwest, like from orphanage to orphanage, and then we sort of flash forward to him in the army. Yep. And so here we go. Nineteen sixty-two. What I really love about right? this, uh, I I think so. It's it, the early. It's the sixties at least because it's in the yeah, middle yeah, of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, yeah, I mean it's going to definitely be before. Or on November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. He talks to his friend, a fellow soldier. Yeah, uh, but I I really love the structuring of this episode. Like I like the fact that speaking of the meta aspect, mm-hmm. we're almost doing this in acts, right? That each yes. act has a title. Yes. to it, it's like a play almost. Well, and ceiling. I think that's supposed to reference to his sort of um, ambitions of being a novelist. Mm-hmm. It's like chapter one, like. This is the, this part of my life. And then chapter two, you know, so I think it's supposed to reference that. Yeah. Though I will say the chapter titles maybe leave a little bit to be desired. Uh, you know, they love to do that. Well, though. like one's a quote, right? Things really didn't go well at Dealey Plaza. Then we have part two is just down the road away from Graceland, mm-hmm. not a sentence. 
Uh, part three, the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. And then part four is just the X-Files. Yeah. So it, it feels like the titles don't really have a, a concrete structure. No, but them. they're just telling you what's happening in this part of his life. I mean, when you hear Delia Plaza also, you know what's going to be involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, when the first time I saw this episode too, I was like, wow, they're really going hard at this like, like conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah, because I mean, that's one of the big things for, I, uh, to be honest. Well, I, and we'll get to it, but they even show like, oh, the grassy knoll and the guy with the umbrella and yeah, it's I mean, like all connected. I mean, if the X-Files, I know that there were episodes that took place after 9-11, but I feel mm-hmm. like if the series started after 9-11, I, I kind of feel like th- they might include something like that in here. You know? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Because it feels like that and the JFK assassination were like the two big conspiracies of, oh, were the government involved? Well, were not there, only were there that, but shooters? like the JFK assassination was like a cosmic shift in the way that Americans thought and felt and, you know, organized themselves and just, you know, were more uh, aware of things after that point. It was very much so like a change in the, I guess. I guess the demeanor of yeah, America, like the climate, the climate. Yeah. And the same thing happened with nine 11. But I do think that this was like such a huge deal that we just can't relate to. Cause we weren't there. Yeah. So we, we open here that yeah, the cigarette smoking man has found himself in the army <laughs> talking about, uh, going to sometimes the X file does. They can his rang dang do. Yeah. Sometimes they do a little bit too much, like in the, in the way of nodding to the audience, like winking at the audience, like this part with Bill Mulder being like, Hey, and here's a picture of my son. Isn't he a cutie? Like, it's like, okay. Yeah, but apparently Fox Mulder's first word was JFK. Yes, JFK. Um, also, creepily, apparently, the cigarette smoking man holds onto this photo. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by that, because, yeah, this is the only glimpse I think we get of young Bill Mulder. Their paths are going to cross a lot, obviously, as we find out. But Yeah, later on, when he joins the State Department. But it's like, I don't think it was necessary to include him here, because, like, they know each other later. Why do they also need to know each other when before he became, like, a secret espionage man? Yeah, so in this instance... He- He's kind of a dweeb, right? He's saying, I refuse to see the Manchurian candidate. He says, I never <laughs> yeah. chance, couldn't touch the, the cigarette. Like, really no, good. He's, yeah, he's a goody two shoes. Exactly. Like, he prefers the novel to the movie. And he also is like, but immediately called into what is, we assume, members of the syndicate, early mm-hmm. members of the syndicate. Ooh. And he is basically asked to go on a mission to kill JFK, but by saying that i guess like in this part they they talk about him being um part of other missions so he's a goody two-shoes but he's also already done stuff like this in the past confidential you can't talk about it ever again missions sort of and there's also this idea right when they talk about his dad as well this Mm -hmm. general sort of paints this picture of uh you know we people like to control life events to ensure a more positive experience for everybody and there are extraordinary men who shoulder the the burden of the world and your father was one of those men. He just was working for the wrong person. Essentially. Yeah, but right when he walks in, they ask him, like, do you know about this? And he's like, no. Have, were you part of this? And he's like, no. Right, yeah, he was part of, like, an assassination. Because he was denying, America. yeah, so basically he's done this before, and now it's gotten to the point where he's going to really do something for them in the sense of killing JFK, and from that moment on, he will no longer be anybody. Like, right, they're going to erase when, him. Yeah, it's interesting, right, because you... It's really painted as this is the moment where he breaks bad. But to your point, I mean, he's been doing it for some time, letting some blood for a while. Well, and I think that's more so the fact that he's just like belongs to the army, belongs to the whatever, quote unquote, like America. And now Mm -hmm. he's going to sort of fall in a little bit deeper. Yeah. So he's given his assignment, right? Assassinate JFK because the general vocalizes that. 
you know, the government feels like uh, he got them dangerously close to nuclear war in the Bay of Pigs. Yeah, he made some mistakes, basically. Right. And there's a fun little moment here where he says, uh, oh, is there a cover story? And you have that, like, little, you know, uh, yeah, we have, guy we, in the corner being like, tell him it was men from out of space. <laughs> yeah, that was dumb. And then he's like, we've identified a patsy. Yeah. Lee, Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald. And so he's going to meet with him a little bit. I mean, after reading 112263, I just like can't get that stuff out Did of Did you my watch head. any of that? I didn't watch It was series. pretty good. Yeah. It was pretty good, but it was hard. It was when I was watching it, it was coming out weekly and I just, I need to binge it. I know it was the, it was the weird Hulu thing, right? Yeah. Where they were going to try weekly. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't get on board with that. <laughs> I really actually enjoyed the book. Uh, it was one of those very long Stephen King novels, but I enjoyed a lot of it. Yeah, a little meandering. But uh, yeah, I mean, this was a little meandering too. I think there's a lot of detail that needs to be uncovered here that they really breeze by yeah, like well the two of them are meeting right there's a little again another wink wink nod nod to being like yeah, oh, don't basically smoke. somebody has told lee Harvey oswald something about you know like basically like he's supposed to place the gun yeah, that's he's, all, he's, all, he thinks- all he's supposed to do is plant the, the curtain rods quote unquote which is to mean like the rifles yeah and then he gets in exchange free passage to cuba yeah it, which is like weird so basically he thinks he's working for communism yeah, essentially, yeah. <laughs> like this is like a communist plot. Yes, which it's definitely not. But <laughs> yeah, and so, and meanwhile, the cigarette smoking man is going to be the true assassin. It seems like he's going to go through the sewers. Speaking yeah. of speaking, well, there is a moment before that, just before we get to that, where he um, Lee Harvey Oswald is, offers him a cigarette, and he's like, "No, don't touch him." I yeah. never, never touch the well, thing. Well, I think he also brings up right that study of like, oh, there's studies, you know, that say that yes. these things can kill you now. Yeah, and he's like very much so against cigarettes, but. Um, yeah, I guess he goes to the sewer. Um, and he, he arrives in a public works van. So yeah, he goes to the sewer. Yeah, he's got, he's got a, a pretty good shot. It's mm-hmm. from the sewers. It actually looked like quite a difficult shot because it's like up. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like he, he had a surprisingly good oh, angle. Oh, he was, yeah. JFK's yeah. car. But he's not alone there. You know, they had that guy with the umbrella. Yeah. Right, like, which is like, and, and all of these things are like, you can imagine the lone gunman telling the story like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, the guy with the umbrella, you know, the grassy knoll story, like all of it's connected. Exactly. The like magic, ah. magic bullet, etc. Yeah. So Meanwhile, anyway, Harvey, Harvey Oswald gets a soda. He gets a soda. And then he um, basically is... Um, I guess framed for it, and yeah, and he realizes like he oh. goes back to his apartment. There is no passport. There is no nothing. He's like, I'm not gonna be a patsy, but he ends up being a patsy. And he so. ends up being a patsy Klein. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, he tries to. He goes out guns blazing, quite yes. literally. When he, yeah, when like two cops just like pull him aside, he shoots one of them. Yeah, basically, he's like, I don't want to. I don't want to go to jail. And he runs into the movie theater because before the cigarette smoking oh, yeah, man said right. like, oh, I like going to the movies. It helps pass the time. He so basically he- tells him where he's going to be in case something goes wrong, which in retrospect is actually him telling him where he should be when it does go wrong because he knows it will go wrong. Yeah. So that uh, he can get arrested. And yeah. And so to that point, he, he was going to be there. He tipped off the cops mm-hmm. to it. Or maybe Lee Harvey Oswald just drew a lot of people because he shot a police yeah. officer. Well, no, I think it was more so the fact that like he was, they were tipped off that he was there. And um, so he just menacingly lights up a cigarette. Yep, he finally t- he takes out the pack of cigarettes that Lee Harvey Oswald had, and and then he's such. So it begins. And so it begins. You kill a president, screw it. Well, I do think that probably would change you <laughs> I, a little bit. Again, like you said, such a, a momentous shift for every Everyone, American. Yeah, I'd imagine he's included in that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, he's like so sweaty when he's in that movie theater too. So like, he's clearly like not the um, hardened criminal that he will be. Part 
two. Part two. And we are now in black and white. Yeah, I honestly couldn't. I When it moved to black and white, I was like, wait, was it black and white in the beginning, too? I was going to say, when is, where's Michael Buble? I feel like every time <laughs> we go to Black and White or X-Files, he's there. Yeah, I recall this whole episode being in black and white, so I don't know. That, I feel like that makes more sense, but maybe they wanted to show, like, the, I don't know, the the the, the idea yeah. that like, his world was in color and now it's in black and white maybe. or something. Or maybe it's just a simple matter of we're going to get into the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Which yes. Is, and this whole black versus white issue as well. Plus, they use a lot of, like, found footage in these episodes, mm-hmm. so it's... Yeah, they use a lot of, like, the photos of... Yeah, so it's possible, because were, those were in black and white, then they made it in black. I don't know. Um, I'm sure somebody will tell us. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the one thing we do find out before we jump into yet another assassination is that he's at a little tippy typewriter, and he's writing some novels. Take a chance. The Jack Colquitt adventure. Yeah, Jack Col- Colquitt. That, that's not... That Colquitt. Is, yeah, that's a bad detective name. I mean... It's clearly a bad book. <laughs> yeah, but I know, like, Jason Bourne, you know? like, yeah. uh, uh, But you know what? He's not a good author. I Raul guess. Bloodworth. Yeah, I do like Raul Bloodworth. I think that's a fun pen name. Yeah. I think Raul Bloodworth should have been the name of the adventurer. Just switch the, the author's name and the character name. Yeah, so he's writing this novel, which is, like, clearly a sort of thriller-esque type situation. And he's listening to the radio, and he hears Martin Luther King Jr. give a speech. Yeah. Which basically... Um, I guess signs his death certificate. Yeah, because well, basically we see that now he <laughs> he's taking it too far. Fully in with the conspiracy, he's like sort of conspiring with J. Edgar Hoover, and they're basically trying to come socialism. up socialism. Yeah, all these things they can do to like stymie the growing civil mm-hmm. unrest existing in the country. And Cigarette Smoking Man basically says, "Well, we're going to kill him." Yeah, because he's he he basically is he is inciting revolution. Yeah, that's what he feels like. They're trying to raise a black army to ignite a. Civil War, and this is where Cigarette Smoking Man also sort of takes the general's rhetoric, right? When he says, oh, yeah, he's an extraordinary man. Well, uh, so what he says is that he really does value what he thinks, and he thinks that he is somebody who has, like, really great principles, and he embodies everything, but that he recognizes that as he grows more popular and unrest continues, that it might actually inhibit their chances at winning the Vietnam War if he encourages black people not to enroll in the right. army. Well, that's what he essentially calls him a communist, right, then by proxy. Yeah, because they, and also there's all these like money making military endeavors yeah, well, too. The general in that first scene calls communism like the greatest threat in human history or something. Yeah. So basically they're going to kill him. Yeah. And so, well, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, uh, Cigarette Smoking Man is actually going a little rogue here, right? Like he, he volunteers. He volunteers, but he also like leads the, his partner mm-hmm. off the trail, right? Distracts him so that he is the one to sneak in the bushes and take yeah. the shot. Yeah. Well, I think he, they're, you know, they want to make sure he wants to make sure it's done properly and there are no witnesses and nobody can like you know i don't know do something to get him in trouble you mentioned this before but this is when we see a cigarette smoking man holding that picture of mrs Mulder and little box (laughs) raises so many questions well we know that they had some kind of affair yeah but did they have like multiple prints of that did he take that off of bill Mulder? he must have taken it off of bill Mulder because it's like an old-timey photo you don't make multiple prints back in the day yeah was he just like give me that book let me borrow that wallet photo you got there bud probably just stole it like he's a creep (laughs) especially again if if what was alluded to with mrs Mulder a few episodes ago is indeed verified yeah he's a creep Oh boy, yeah, love looking at the family of the guy. And I'm you know cuckolding. what? It's his own fault then, because his novel's rejected. Yep. So after the this assassination number two, he basically gets a letter saying like, in a 
not even just like no reject. like you're this a bad the, author the ultimate rejection says burn the book yeah. the ending is lame your writing is bad yeah like you're not good at this stop doing it yeah i'm assuming that the x-files fans just uh, just like went on to uh i guess they're like uh alt.tv yeah. files and like just took criticism of their own writing and applied it here probably yeah i mean i mean yeah, there's probably whenever you're writing about writers you'd have to imagine like yeah. There's always a prime opportunity to poke fun at yourself or at well, the world and of writing. I do think that publishers can be notorious, especially at that time, for, you know, being really um I guess like jaded. Yeah, there's there's, you a, know, there's like a, a lot of people who put out who have put out right those those letters from publishers yeah. that rejected them in the uh-huh. past. Yeah. And also I think that there was a stigma that publishers were people who didn't make it as writers and mm, then you know so like those who can't do public exactly there's like a whole like rhetoric behind that so i think maybe it's pulling on that not that it's true i mean to any of our publisher listeners out there who who the heck knows but in 1962 or whatever it was yeah we should also mention that uh this little segment ends with so is this ted kennedy yes that's ted kennedy okay. speaking Speaking about uh, the death of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. and he ends up quoting Aeschylus and yeah. says the cigarette smoking man. Yeah, because he like knows it by heart, I don't know, which is wild. To imply that like he's also behind Ted Kennedy's death. Um, maybe I think that it's was that just like oh he found his next victim. <laughs> yeah, you said that, but I never thought that. But it's possible. Yeah, and both episodes actually we're dealing with a person who uh, <laughs> likes to kill a lot. Yeah, I guess so. Well, I don't know if he likes it, but he feels like he has the ability through these assassinations to turn the tide of of like the way history is happening you know he can make things happen through assassination all right here we are part three the most wonderful time of the year we jump 1991 1991 big jump forward yeah we we jump from the young mold or the young cigarette smoking man now to who we know as the cigarette smoking man and a little bit of a a leap in time forward but also probably a leap in logic uh, (laughs) as well this is the part that made me think like oh this is all being definitely told by the lone gunman essentially the cigarette smoking man is now leading a meeting of yes men with the news items being like Ah, uh, yes, we've got the Anita Hill Contro- Yeah, the controversy there. Done. Oh, Rod- the Rodney King uh, trials. trials are happening, and Saddam Hussein is on standby. And he says the Buffalo Bills cannot win the Super Bowl. Yeah, which is, there's an interesting fact from that. So I guess the actor who plays the Cigarette Smoking Man was, like, entirely confused as to why he was so fixated yeah, on the preventing Buffalo the Buffalo Bills from winning the Super Bowl. Like, I, I think it's one of those things where maybe he didn't get it was a joke. Yeah. So he's like, so apparently he, like, called uh, the writers Carter and oh, was, like, was like, can you just tell me, like, why he would he would want that to happen, considering that he's assassinated people and I think now he's it's just like, so fixated on it? I think it's just a joke. Well, I also think it's, like, meant to be, like, that that's what he cares about. Is is the Super Bowl winning, mm-hmm. not murdering historical figures? You yeah, know, like he's also working on next month's Oscar. Nominees. Yeah, exactly. Who and he's Oscar nominees in nineteen ninety one. I don't know. Look, let's look it up. Let's see. But yeah, I feel like it's meant to be like that. It's it's so outlandish that like you would think, you know, why would he care about that? All right. So it looks like, uh, well, look, this was the year the Dances with Wolves won. So oh maybe, boy, maybe the cigarette smoking man was just a big fan of Kevin Costner possible that was also when kathy bates won for misery i feel like mm. you get a lot of pleasure out of misery right it's about a writer it is about a writer um and uh, what else uh joe pesci won for goodfellas oh Whoopi goldberg won for ghost that might be I, x-files type of thing right yeah well she was great in ghost yeah i absolutely agree but maybe he's like oh i, I like this. i work in the spooky stuff maybe you know? no but he says he doesn't care 
He's yeah. like, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> he also reveals that apparently the miracle on ice was fixed. Yeah, he was like, you that you, they drugged a Soviet goaltender with a needle, a needle. You know, and, they, and yeah, there was a. Oh, uh, there's no right. within a false wedding ring that like they patted the goalie on the shoulder. Yeah, or something, tiny a pin needle, and then injected him with Novocaine, so he missed that final goal. Wild. <laughs> Yeah. And they were like, well, yeah, communism. <laughs> they, they got theirs. <laughs> Speaking of spooky, actually, I do believe that uh, the, the spooky kid is, the Mulder's name is invoked, right? It's like, oh, yeah, it that, is, that, yeah. get that spooky kid on it. Which is, I think this episode is also written by um, the same people who are, right? Yeah, I believe yeah. it's uh, it was uh, Darren, uh, no, Glenn Morgan. Glenn Morgan and... Um, James Wong, I think? Yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, either the way, one, the, the same people... The, the ones who wrote the two episodes last the time. The same people who like to call him spooky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the, they bring that back. But yeah, this is when we get like a really sad look at Cigarette Smoky Man's life. We start with, as you mentioned before, like he essentially gets invited to go have Christmas with his co-workers. And yeah, says, and he's no. like, no, I have to go visit family. And they're like, clearly, no, that's not true. And as a present, <laughs> he gives them the same dumb tie. Yeah. Which has to be by far one of the worst gift givers. So bad. <laughs> yeah, because like, there's barely any care put into it. And it's also well, all the same thing. he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what he does care about is his manuscript. Like, yeah. he is devoting himself to that to the point where he has now worked on another novel called Second Chance. Right. Yeah, basically like the same character, like series, I guess. Yeah, well, because I think at this point he is sort of trying to think about like, yeah. do it is this what I really want to do with my life? Yeah, well, I think he would prefer to be a novelist, but he's not getting anywhere with that. Exactly. So he's thinking like, what if what if this person had a chance to like do their life over and yeah. not make the choices that they did? Yeah, but no, but he's called away on business. Yeah, we see Deep Throat, Deep Throat, uh, and Ronald. His name got revealed here. <laughs> Old Ron. Old Ron gives him a call. And basically, this is the episode where they find the spacecraft in the first season of the X-Files. Mm-hmm. This is, he basically says, like, he meets him near the site of a UFO wreck. Um, and this and, and do you assume this is, like, the first time that they've encountered this? Yes. I mean, they know it exists. They, it's, this, it's been going on the conspiracy for a while now, but this is the first time that they've like captured one i guess right because i mean that's when you know deep throat goes into this whole monologue right saying you know tonight the course of human history will be set by two men standing in the shadows so this really does seem magnanimous yeah and they talk about this how they've changed history so many times and this is just another instance of that but um you know a little bit more uh intense because basically and this is a true thing that there is like a um an un i don't want to say unspoken but an agreement between all like so all countries on earth that anyone who finds it like crashed UFO and there's life they're supposed to kill it mm, like it's like a common like known really? trope I did not know this trope well you don't study UFOs I, I don't I'm the scully no but it's something that's done in like a, I don't know if it's like a real real but it's real in the sense that it's outside of the X-Files a thing that has yeah. been talked about yeah so they invoke it here right saying that okay if we have to kill the alien the question is who is going to do it uh, Deep Throat initially says, you know, I'm the liar, you're the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, you know, you, you've killed some people too. And, he's, and, you know, they've they've all basically done lying and killing. So right they got to flip a coin. So they have to flip a coin. And it turns out that Deep Throat is is the one to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, they they kill this alien, basically. Yeah. But you see it. You see a full-blown alien. I, you see an alien, like, on Which is, again, support. why it's like, okay, maybe this is something being told by Frohiki. You know, like, they never want to show you outright anything. 
Part four, the X-Files. And oh boy, is it the X-Files? Because we started- Flashback. We have some old footage here. Yeah. Like old school Scully. Uh, the hair really gives it away, it right? sure does. Where Although this first episode, her hair is great. And then the second episode, it's not. Like yeah, the pilot but, is amazing. Right. Uh, and so we see, remember that he was in the background with Blevins when yes. they were assigning Scully to the X-Files. And then he eavesdrops on their first meeting. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then we flash forward, uh, and it turns out, you know, Froggy calls him the most dangerous man alive, mm-hmm. but he also ruminates, you know, the only person he can escape is himself. So it's like, yeah, he's dangerous, but he's also a sad sack of a human being. Yeah, exactly. But we also, did you, did we skip over the fact that he does get his novel published? Yeah, so this is right after this, um, where he's gonna get a, get a call essentially from this publishing house that says that they love the mm-hmm. story. It turns out that I think he decided to make his new uh, Raul Bloodhound, or whatever his his name was, uh, he made his novel a little true to life, right? He's yes. talking about alien assassinations. Mm-hmm. So he's going a bit more sci-fi than thriller. Yeah, and it's going to be basically serialized in a magazine, and he but he has to, like, pay for it, which is, like, a huge sign yeah, that it's has, a scam. Exactly. He has to pay 25 <laughs> I mean, I'm honestly surprised that, A, this magazine existed, and, B, like, they actually did publish it. Yeah, no, it's true. But I can easily take his $2,500 and his, like... But there are things out there that exist like this today. I mean, there's poetry books. Mm-hmm. There's things that Reader's you... Reader's Digest. Yeah, that you submit your stuff for, but you do have to pay for it to be like published which is like wild that that people still fall for that kind of stuff and it's actually like very upsetting but i mean cigarette smoking man sinks his entire future into this pulpy magazine right so he's so adamant that this is like it's all he's been waiting for yeah i mean he's so sad letter of resignation after years and years in the position that he's in to say i'm finally gonna move on i get to do what i want to do picks up yeah and during this time he also has we forgot to mention right from when they were around the board table has been having patches on his neck. Oh, right. Yeah. So I think that he is off and on again, trying to quit smoking. Right. And I think that's a symbol as well of him, like trying to leave this, trying to have like something more to his life, have meaning, I guess. But unfortunately the path he wants to go to on is a dead end because his story's essentially been butchered. Yeah. They basically like took the story and just like rewrote it. Yeah. The the ending is completely different. And he kind of realized that it's for kind of a shitty magazine. Yeah. And as somebody was, the guy he's buying it from is like, why would anyone pay for that? Yeah. And he, it looks like he's going to kill him for a second. <laughs> it does look but like that. he just pays for the magazine. Yeah. Like, he'd really be like Lee Harvey Oswald in that regard. But we get, and I, what I really like about this episode as well is that it really is like a bastardized take on Forrest Gump. Yeah. Right? Where he's um, sitting on the bench. Well, well, it's also the whole episode is of watching oh, him yeah, go through true. all these historical events, just less CGI on John Lennon's face. <laughs> but here he is sitting on the bench. Life is like a box of chocolates, you know, a cheap perfunctory gift that nobody asks for. And he yeah. says, occasionally you get the peanut butter cup, but usually it's going to be jellied candy and teeth cracking nuts and you're just end end up with an empty box yeah it's like very just depressing (laughs) yeah and also you know he's sitting on the bench next to like a homeless man Mm -hmm. right this is some nice lady waiting for the bus just a homeless man (laughs) yeah um well spencer had a quote about that Uh, he said that this was his favorite scene but what i didn't like was him was showing him gunning down historical figures left and right with apparent ease and giving the impression that he had his hands in so many cookie jars of events speaking of sweets uh or of historical significance 
What is most egregious is that the events of this episode completely disregard the timeline established by the apocrypha cold open. Mm-hmm. He couldn't have been young army buddies with Bill Mulder in 1962, exactly. killing JFK in 1963 while already being a government agent colleague of Bill Mulder, interviewing that Zeus Faber submarine soldier earlier in 1953. That's a great point. Yeah, well, that's why I think all of this is being told by Frohookie. You know, so there's yeah. like, I think what we're supposed to take away from it is that this is the way his life could be represented. Not that every single thing that he did from like a assassination perspective is true, but more that like he was involved in all of these sketchy things, literally had no life, had no friends, wanted to be a novelist, didn't work out. You know, like I think you're supposed to, that stuff is true. Unless they did those interviews in the early fifties and then like, I don't know, got put in the army to do undercover stuff in the early 60s. It's possible, but that's why in the beginning when we were talking about it, I was like, I don't think it's necessary to have Bill Mulder here from a storytelling perspective because it's just like he he becomes friends with him later on in life. So like having him there is kind of like a little too um, cute. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think the only 100% verifiable thing was the stuff that happens at the end, right? When we specifically see things from his perspective. So so I I would assume that the novelist stuff, and maybe that wasn't even, you know, colored by Frohickey. Maybe that was, like, actually stuff that was interspersed. No, I I think so, yeah. I don't know why that article would be like, oh, and also, he's a novelist in his spare time. No, and I do think that that's true from his investigation. But yeah, so basically, Scully... Frohickey tells Mulder and Scully that he found all this out through a magazine article and he's going to investigate further um, to verify. But, um, you know, then they leave. But we basically see the cigarette smoking man at that point in his sniper position, like saying, like, I can kill you all whenever I want. Yeah. And in a different version, he was going to apparently mm-hmm. the original ending of this episode had him killing Frohickey. Yeah, which is would have not been good. It would have been big for many reasons, right? That means he's not popping up in the spinoff. Yeah. And he's also a character that you'll see as the series go on. But like he has the most heart out of all these yeah. guys. And I think that like his relationship even towards Scully is just really sweet. And it would be kind of a bummer if he wasn't there. I would also say that, look, this episode did not necessarily make the cigarette smoking like, man more sympathetic. No. But like it would make him completely irredeemable. Well, and also from the perspective of like, that's the out you're going to give this guy that you like built up. Like you're mm-hmm. just going to shoot him at the end of an episode. Like so random. Yeah. I should also mention that, uh, you know, Morgan and Wong had, we talked about space above and beyond last time, yes. right? Cause that was how they brought in the, the girl to play Melissa. I the, mean, yeah, we mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. But apparently this includes many references to that. Oh, does it? To that season left behind. Uh, apparently, you know, take a chance is uh, a reference to the series. The name Jack Colquitt is actually a name of one of the characters on oh. that show. And actually, the guy who played Lee Harvey Oswald was an actor who was in that show. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he could. That guy was like, it could be you. I mean, I guess waste Tall, not, skinny guy. Waste not, want not. <laughs> no, right? it's true. Like, if your show gets unceremoniously canceled, you say, yeah, like, I have all these resources. Let me yeah, use Yeah, I have them. all these random actors I can use. <laughs> well, whether or not this story was true, I thought it was very... Fun. It was fun in the way that like Jose Chung's was fun, where you're not supposed to take things completely seriously. And part of the fun is really trying to sift through what's BS and what's not yeah. to try to come out with a cohesive narrative. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, I don't think it's meant to be anything more than like a little bit more about the cigarette smoking man. Not necessarily that you need to, I don't know, know every single detail about his past. All right. Well, we're going to get into 
what I can say is definitely not the lighter of the two episodes, nope. <laughs> which is surprising considering we just got into an episode with multiple assassinations. But we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're talking Paper Hearts. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Angela, this is Strike Two. Sorry. I expressly gave it and said no bad things happening to children. This is such a good episode, though. It's like it's terrible, but it's terrible in a way that like is cinematically excellent. It's a good type of terrible. Well, yeah, and honestly, there's going to be more kid stuff. They they just love to do kid stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's on a big, show. it's a big horror thing, right? Children yeah, and I think innocence I mean, and, you've seen Law. I mean, you probably haven't, but Law and Order SVU is no, like I all about not, like nope, that. I haven't stuff. seen it for that exact reason. But I do think that in this specific instance, I sort of forgot that's what it was about because the main through line is about Mulder and his relationship with his sister more than right. anything. So you know, it just sorry to feature like a pedophile killer and that guy is wild yeah uh roche i believe his last yeah name his is. name is roche but th- like the actor i'm saying is like wow so good he's really good i mean i believe that the episode was basically written and the role was cast with him in mind yeah right? so and i don't know him from much else but um he was in mind for the role specifically written for him Oh, what's his name? Tom Noonan? Tom Noonan. Yeah, I do believe there's one thing that we should know him for. Well, he was in The Leftovers. Oh, no, in... no, you know what we should know him for? Because we might know what? him from The Ripper and Last Action Hero. But Angela, you and I know him well as Frankenstein's monster in The Monster Squad. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> I knew his face was familiar, but I couldn't place it, and I, well, like, I mean, didn't do that much deep dive. He's incredibly tall, right? Even when yes, they're he's like a, him, he's like six foot five. He's like, what's his face from Star Trek? He's like Doug... Doug Jones. Doug Jones. He's like probably cast a lot as somebody who's like tall and creepy. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to him being, a, you know, he has a real basketball player height, which is maybe why we see him playing basketball later on. But yeah, he was but, the guy who oh. made friends with the little... I mean... In one sense, he was killing little girls. In the Monster Squad, though, he was making friends he with them. He was the as best Fra- in the Monster Squad. Monster. No, and the actor was, like, amazing in this. He was he played the role, like, perfectly. All right, well, let's start with things, though, because um, essentially this episode... Let's start with things. This is, on a very specific note, because this is, episode is essentially going to be Mulder following his dreams in yeah. many ways. Um, the beginning, I, I mentioned this to you when we were talking about it. So we watched this episode separately. Yeah, that's a fun the first fact. time we so did. We usually watch them together, but because we Angela, sort of paying attention, Angela was getting some much needed R and R. Kind uh, of. We, we watched it separately, which is interesting because I think we both gleaned probably separate reactions yeah. from this. Or I would say it was it was interesting for me to watch this particular episode. But alone. I did mention to you via text that the music in this episode is. Um, I would say stands out a little bit from other episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because of any sort of special music no, that was I will, done. I will say I really liked the last song. 
Uh, that one's that was the one that really yes. stood out to me, and I also believe that the composer was nominated for an Emmy for this episode. So you are not alone in your yeah. Opinion. Well, right in the beginning, right from the get go, is that like do 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 that like kind of like video game sounding, mm-hmm. but like very mystical, very like um, otherworldly, and so it's basically Mulder's having a dream where there's this little red dot. He follows uh, the yeah. dot. All right, let's talk about this because I could not get Tinkerbell out of my head. I think it's supposed to be like that. Yeah, because all I'm reminded of is if you ever see like a stage production of yes, Peter Pan, yeah, Tinkerbell is pretty much represented by a laser pointer. Yeah, so I think it's supposed to be like that, that it's kind of like some mystical sort of or like, like ghost writer, like a will o' the wisp or something, you mm-hmm. know? And so he's supposed to, he follows it, he follows the sign. He's a little it, kitty cat. It flashes and it says follow. Right. Yeah. The the dot occasionally can turn into words. Right. So like it turns into follow uh, when he gets to the park, it turns into mad hat. Yeah. And so basically he follows the laser like a like a, an animal to the body of a little girl. In but the not the, of the woods. yeah, like the body of her, like fully formed with her yep. hair and everything. And, and it, then it, it forms into a shape heart. of heart and then she sinks into the ground. Yeah. And then he like pops awake. Yeah. And so we start on like a very quick note as he. Like it follows this premonition, goes into yeah. where he went in his dreams, and this is at like five a.m. on a Sunday morning, right? He's mm-hmm. like in his casuals, and they. He fi- looks great, by the they, way. He, I mean, he does look pretty good. He He's looks, got the middle part going on. That color T-shirt. Yeah, his casual wear around. is always great for me. But they found something. It turns out his hunch was, was correct. Yeah, and so they find the body of a little girl, very much like decomposed, yeah, like she's we, a skeleton. This also might be the first time I remember in an episode that we watched that we got like an abbreviated title sequence. Yeah, I, no- I noticed it was much shorter. It I didn't was shorter. They, I didn't realize they did that. I and I don't know if that's what they did at the time or if it's what they do on um like netflix you know like yeah, yeah who knows <laughs> yeah so i will say this is a big episode for Mulder, right i know spencer told us that essentially while some feel that one breath might be Mulder's skull, version yeah. of, the, of that big scully episode from mm-hmm. season one like he feels that maybe it's a that focuses a bit too much on like comatose scully this really is like Mulder. a big Mulder episode well and i also feel like his acting chops have improved since then very even much so. since, i mean we've seen that the past few episodes yeah and even since that episode where they say like oh we developed this for acting you know like mm-hmm. in the field where i died like i feel like that was this the way he acts in this does actually create evocative emotion that um, being said this is one of the most frustrating episodes to watch Fox Mulder. I think yes. I can I can say again it's it's well, not it's not that I don't understand the character, it's just that he does frustrating things. Well and you're very sympathetic to him in this, which is like I think what makes it worse is mm-hmm. that because you, you can you can almost like not blame him. But also I there's a lot of talk about this episode being written as like Vince Gilligan was like, oh, we, let's investigate more Samantha. And like, what if she wasn't abducted by right. aliens? So like, we, let's yeah. create some mystery around that. You should know, yeah, this is another Vince Gilligan episode where what Soft Light was the, the first episode yeah. that he wrote, where clearly he likes to do like very off the beaten path things. And he is very much doing so, essentially turning the entire Samantha narrative on its head yeah. for an episode. Yeah, but, you know, back to where Mulder basically has unearthed a little girl in the woods. And so to that point, that was like sort of the first element of frustration for me was he does the thing right where they're like, oh, we're going to we're going to dig it up. And he's like, no, I'll do it. I'm doing it. Yeah, he gets like too antsy. Like he's like, basically, she's like, you have to be you have to wait. It takes time. He could have punched a hole through her skull. Also, he could have like completely like messed up crime scene information like what if he is so basically we find out he knows right from the get-go that this is a victim of roche yes because 
once upon a time, was put on this case. I'm assuming pre-Exiles, yes. right? When he yeah, was so as, like, the best criminal profile yes. around. and so he profiles him, and he basically, like, he tells Scully in, like, a, a, like a, f- a scene later, basically, that he is a serial killer who murdered 13 girls throughout the 80s, um, and it was his modus operandi was basically cutting out this heart from their pajamas. Yeah, and also he would disguise himself as a vacuum cleaner, mm-hmm. so then basically he'd, like, go door-to-door, say, oh, do they have a little girl I can kill in it? Yes. That's sort of yeah, chart, right? Yeah, and then, like, basically, the, he confesses, he's, the guy is put behind bars, he confesses to 13 murders, they know who all the murders are, but something about the case has always bugged Mulder, because he never it, found the hearts. And so this is our, our typical Scully, well, actually, explanation, right, where she's saying, well, maybe these dreams are just because this has been bugging you. Yeah, she basically says, Mulder, I don't think you're having prophetic dreams, I think you've never stopped thinking about this case. Right, you're fixated on Which it. Which I agree with, I think that there's... I a, think both can be true. I think both can <laughs> be true, I think that he could be having some sort of prophetic dreams, because he's come to the deduction in his subconscious but either way i mean there's a lot to unpack here <laughs> also like uh scully ends up quoting Mulder back yes. right a dream is an answer to a question we haven't yet learned how to ask exactly I, like just, I can't remember which episode that showed i don't then. remember either but i know we definitely <laughs> talked about it uh but they decide to you know they drop in on this this new found little girl's fall father which is really sad well, also scully deduces that these murders were happening much earlier than they originally thought. So starting as early as 1975, which makes Mulder have like a little like light bulb go off. Right. Because he's like, what, what else happened in the, in the seventies? That was right. Because the victim that they find is not one of the 13. So there's more than 13 and she does some like science shit on it and finds out it, she was killed earlier than that. Yeah, so they dropped by. I will say the guy, uh, the the little girl's dad, also did a really, really good acting job in this scene. As well, well, before that, they find the hearts, don't they? Yeah, well, that's that's what they. No, this is when they don't. They haven't found the oh, hearts. Oh, they go to this guy first. They just go to this guy and like tell her about it. Tell him about it. Yeah, which was like really depressing because that guy was like, "Oh, are there other victims that you're seeing today?" And he, they're like, "Uh." Oh like there probably are that's yeah, like and, you and can goes, see it in their goes faces into this monologue right of like i used to think that the, the missing was worse than the dead yeah. because you never know but now i'm actually glad my wife died last yeah. year so she didn't have to experience this closure well because they never found her but they also didn't know what happened to her and i feel like finding out that she was like murdered by a total yeah, creep pedophile this, this case like the truth is much worse than fiction yeah because they probably i mean in their minds they could have made up some story that she just like you know went missing fell somewhere yeah. like, like, you know, happen to, like, get into an accident. You know, no, you never know. But, like, a pedophile is awful. Absolutely terrible. So this is now where Mulder's going to yes. have a flash from his dreams and say, oh. <laughs> Another little red light. <laughs> because he's a, a traveling salesman, of mm-hmm. course, he'd keep his possessions in his car. He finds out that we his need to car, find his car. Yeah, his, and so his car was pawned off to this guy who essentially tried to turn into a hot rod yeah. with, the, with the flames painted on the side. And going off of just the mad hat idea, Mulder takes, finds the top that was taken off the car, Mm -hmm. rips off the upholstery, and finds a copy of Adventures in Wonderland. Yeah, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Which is ridiculous. Why is it ridiculous? Like, I understand if he kept the hearts in there, why would he put them in the book Alice in Wonderland? Because it's a creepy, like, he's obsessed with, like, children. 
it's a kid's book. Yeah, I guess it just I think there's a I think it's a better tome to keep things in than Adventures in Wonderland, you know. What, Especially, what would you put if you were a pedophile killer? Like how could we even imagine what he was thinking? Like I don't know, it's just a weird thing to be like put them in a book and then put that book in the roof. You know, it feels like it's maybe one step too many. No, procedure. so I think what happened is that he always kept them in the book. It's not that he was like he put them all in the book and then put them in yeah, the roof. Yeah, a bit of like I put that box in another box. Yeah, no, but I think that for this he because they're in different pages. I think he that's where he collected them and mm-hmm. stored them. And then he would hide them in the car. You know, it's not like he was like, let me all hide this all at once. It right. was like a con. He probably took that book out of the, there was probably like a, a way to get into that. That wasn't yeah. slicing I, it. Well, I also wonder, you know, when he knew that he might get caught. Yeah. He probably he hid it in the roof somewhere. of the car, yeah, but like, he was always hiding the hearts in the book. Right. Yeah. And he always, matter, yes. It was just, I think maybe putting the book in the, in the roof was maybe the step too far. But again, if he thought that he was going to yes. get caught, maybe he wanted to hide it instead of the glove compartment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was surprising me. The mold was like, well, well, let me check the glove compartment. You don't think this dude, <laughs> bought this car didn't clean it out of what might I mean, be in there that dude didn't seem like he cleaned a lot <laughs> yeah, just he, listen he had plans to turn into grease lightning anyway so they find the hearts and they're gonna go see roche because there are thir- 14 15 six three more 16 yeah three well, two, more, two more two more of, plus yeah, the, victim. That was the 14th victim uh so and I, and two is, unidentified hearts which is, is heartbreaking a little bit on like ha. Huh? Uh, paper heartbreaking. It's a little bit like Silence of the Lambs, right? Because the rest of this episode is going to be him working with a serial killer. Yes. To in this case, though, it's to catch himself. Yeah, which is like this is something that he knows how to do from his past as a profiler and as an FBI agent should not be phased. But he basically immediately is taking it too personally. Wait, he's going <laughs> completely aggro. Though this first scene is them on the basketball court, and I am alarmed at how casual this is. Yeah, so I think that this is like when somebody's in prison for a really long time. Right, well, he's in prison for life, right? Scully says, like, you have nothing to lose. Yeah, but I do think it's odd that they would let him, they would let them interview him in a basketball court. Yeah, Yeah, like Like, it is a little weird. Just shooting some hoops. Why don't you go drop on? Yeah, or like, oh, he's in the yard doing exercises. Why don't you go talk to him out there? Like, I don't know if that's how, maybe it worked that way in the 90s. I mean, we're going to go to an interrogation room very soon. So, yeah, why didn't they just bring him there? I I think it was purely for the scene where Mulder makes him a basket and David Duchovny play basketball. I did not realize this until I did research, but apparently David Duchovny like has some game to him. Yeah. He played basketball before no he did and he's like so sporty yeah the Mulder's sporty but i didn't realize that david oh, is similarly, yeah. you know he is similarly sporty and he immediately sinks a hoop and basically roche says like oh i'll tell i'll talk to you if you can sink a basket from there do you think in the prison instead of playing horse they play roche they have to spell that no, out i do not think that and then you kill the loser i don't think that no but essentially the roche sa- roche says like oh yeah i'll give you information about who's out there but it's an exchange for my heart's back yeah, which is like a big, big no-no is negotiating with the murderer. And so you wonder why is Mulder so fixated on this? This is just a cold case from years ago. But another dream <laughs> indicates that maybe there is more stakes yes. to this than you may think. Or, well, yeah. yeah well, I, Mulder I thinks there might. There, yeah, because exactly. we, we go into the living room and we essentially get like a line-for-line recreation of the day Samantha mm-hmm. was taken. Very glad that David Duchovny is playing Mulder instead of Kid Mulder. Yeah. I want to hear Samantha. Mm-hmm. Although that's how he would do it, too. That's where, yeah. But this time he's saying, you know, not again, not again. And this is when everything comes together. And this is a dream. This is a dream, of course. Mulder. <laughs> because at the door now, instead of the alien, like we saw in the beginning of he season two. He thinks he remembers Roche. Roche and his car specifically, that he was the one who accidentally abducted Samantha. 
Yeah, but this is all happening in Mulder's mind. And I think that Mulder is always looking for the truth about Samantha. And honestly, we don't even find it out what happens to her. And I'll tell you this right now. We do not find out. Donut. Donut find out. <laughs> she got turned into a donut. No, That's we do find out, but we don't find out until season seven. Oh, really? So we do find out. And there are multiple instances of this happening again. Right, where where it's, it's like, like, oh, maybe it's that. Yeah, where it's like false endings <laughs> yes, almost. exactly. Yeah, so... They're constantly pulling the Samantha, maybe was abductive aliens, maybe she wasn't card. <laughs> fertile ground. <laughs> I guess detail, so. I <laughs> so now we're back in the interrogation room. This is when Roche decides to unveil, oh yeah, I sold a vacuum cleaner to your dad back in the day. Claims he was on Martha's Vineyard. Claims all the, to know all this information. Mulder decks him. Yeah, Mulder's just like very alarmed by this whole thing and just like punches him, which is like such a bad move. And the well, the uh, it's not helped by the guard of the moment being like, "I didn't see anything." Yeah, know? but there's cameras. And like, then the way is going to point out later on. But yeah, so he basically Mulder freaks the fuck out at this point and has to go find his mom and yeah, like ask her a bunch of questions. And Scully, of course, <laughs> is taking her Scully role here of you're yeah. in too deep. She says that Roche was on the internet yesterday. He could have very easily looked up information about you, almost like uh, the way a psychic sort of profiles people, you know? Totally. And I think that there's also he knows Mulder from the case. Like yeah. Mulder profiled him. Mulder's in his head. And he's in Mulder's head. You know, he knows Mulder because he is a weirdo who is probably really good at. Okay, so let's so let's talk about that. So then, are you not a believer in the whole like nexus thing that Mulder I, comes up with? I am to an extent in this episode, but I do think it it goes hand in hand with Scully's understanding of the more you understand something, the more you research something, the more you become involved in it, it becomes part of you. So it's she, they're basically saying the same thing. Yeah. That the nexus is like, they're connected in a way that is like otherworldly. And Scully's saying, no, they're connected in a way that is, they are so involved with each other that they just know how one another thinks. Yeah. So I think it's the same thing. I just think one is based in sort of mythology and the other one's based in science. Yeah, I mean, Spencer sort of compares it to other types of episodes like Clyde Bruckman, for yes. instance, where there are people who have these sort of psychic Yeah, just a little bit the, more empathic. In this case, though, it's just cutting out the middleman. Yeah, and I think that this is a real thing. I mean, this is like me saying that I don't think that... I think having a sixth sense or naming it like ESP or something mm -hmm. like that is like maybe taking it a step too far. But I do think there are people out there that are more intuitive than others. You know, people that are more right. in touch with, like, different wavelengths I mean, and that's, different yeah, energies. That's, that's the show and, psych, right? Is that he's not yes. a psychic. He's just very observant. Yeah. And, like, also empathetic. Like, I'm mm -hmm. I'm an extremely empathetic person you to are. the point where if you're anxious and upset and stressed, I get anxious and upset and stressed. It's very true. And, and then I'm always just like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And you're like, nothing. <laughs> Until I'm forced to admit it. And then, we all, and then we both feel better. Yes, exactly. So I do think that that's more probably what's happening, but that Mulder's going to believe, of course, in a more um, spooky yeah, thing. Worldly approach. I do like also Scully saying that Mulder walked in there with his heart on his sleeve. Yeah, but he did, though. Because in some cases, you can just pull that heart off the sleeve and add it to your collection in your book. Ugh, yeah, but I mean, he did. He walked in there with an expectation that he was going to have questions answered. And he then got them answered and, and wasn't happy with the result. So Mulder goes to visit mommy. So did she move to Greenwich, Connecticut? Yeah, I don't think so. Martha's Vineyard is where they would vacation. They okay. had a house in Martha's Vineyard. And that is where they also, they lived in Massachusetts. Right. But 
when her parents got divorced or his parents got divorced, I think his mom just lives in Greenwich, Connecticut. Oh. I think that's where she lives. Oh, right. So I'm thinking back to when... And his dad lived in Massachusetts. That's what I was thinking, because I was thinking back to when, quote-unquote, Samantha came back and they were together in but Massachusetts. But that, that was at the dad... The, exactly. Like, the family house. Yeah, exactly. That's also, I, who's to say what happened after she had a stroke? Maybe I mean, that's, I just, yeah, that's what I was thinking as well, that, like, you know, she might have been moved to, like, a more hospitable environment. Maybe. Though that doesn't make sense because all of this old junk is in the basement, right? She can't be like, oh, take all yeah. my priceless relics with me yeah so i do think i mean maybe who's who knows <laughs> but essentially Mulder gets confirmed roche's information at least that uh there was a vacuum sold to her back in the day yeah which is a little wild so i think that that probably is like the assumption that it, i don't know everyone had a vacuum sold That's to them back in the day like, I, <laughs> and I, the most popular model was the princess model so he maybe just took a shot in the yeah, dark like if, if you're like oh describe the salesman too because i think people will remember if the freakishly tall person sold them a vacuum yeah well his mom is basically also saying she doesn't remember a lot because she had a stroke oh right we're talking <laughs> about a uh, lamp or palm <laughs> yeah exactly only a couple weeks from that but uh yeah and then i mean he's just like upset by finding this vacuum it's not good for his psyche <laughs> you know who else is upset skinner yeah and as he should be as he should be because he's Mulder just trying to do a criminal g damn job yeah and, and Mulder can't keep it together yeah i mean he essentially says you're forbidden from visiting this guy yeah and scully shouldn't have done this but she steps in being like oh he has a reason to it's connected to samantha and so i was like i don't care yeah, at but point. I mean, Scully's his BFF. She's got to stand up for him. I know, but also I just think that. This- and he wants to, t- and she basically, Walter Skinner says, um, Walter, let me call him Walter. Oh, um, on a first name basis with yes, him. Yes, Walter. Um, but he basically says, Scully didn't tell me there's cameras, you idiot. Like, yeah. <laughs> like making sure that he knows that Scully didn't like a, do something bad. Yeah. So this is when I believe. Despite this, Mulder does go back to visit. He Roche. basically convinces him that he needs to question him, and he lets Scully and Mulder go one more time to yeah. question him. And this is where Roche is going to give more details. Right? He mentions Stratego. He talked about the Magician, which is the show yeah. that, that that Fox didn't let Samantha watch. Which is why I do think there is a little bit of like a psychic connection, because like how could he know all that stuff? Unless he's being tipped off by someone, maybe. You know? um, but essentially, he says. Oh, there's this, you know, there's, I think I know where Samantha is. She's in this place in West Virginia. And so they trudge forward. Mulder and Scully dig up the body with their hands. Yeah. So, I mean, he did tell them the location of a victim. It's just, it's not Samantha. That's right. And he sort of misled them, right? But being purposely vague so that they were harried. By the time they did it, they realized, oh, no, it's definitely not Samantha. Well, because Scully does an autopsy and she knows that there's yeah, and, no and, way it could be. And Mulder also says that what she's, she broke her collarbone. This yes, collarbone's sees, intact. Yeah. Bones don't fuse together mm-hmm. after death. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, you know, it's it's not Samantha, but they do find another victim, which I guess is good. And back to Roche. And this <laughs> yeah. is when Roche goes into like a really creepy monologue, right? Of oh yes, she had mint plants outside. I remember standing in the mint plants and yeah. watching her. He basically tells Mulder that Samantha definitely is the last victim. Yeah. And convinces him to get him out of prison. Yeah, to he go basically find she's her. like, Oh, all I want is a day of freedom. I'm not asking for much, but it's like he is asking for much he's because you know, for a you know exactly what he's going to do. Yet Mulder does it. Yeah, so he basically has like a moment where he he releases him from prison without anyone's permission, which yeah. is awful. I, I feel like at least bring one more person with you. At least, but bring he knows backup. nobody's going to let him do it. Maybe Scully, though. Maybe I don't think though. I don't think she would let. Have him. one of the lone gunmen go with yeah, you. Yeah, that's like, true. You just need a warm body. 
next to you because what's going to happen later on yeah, is if, because if he has a, no one else to look out yeah. for him, he gets completely hoodwinked. Yeah, basically he gets knocked out and they, he steals his badge and his gun and his yeah. suit. And <laughs> but don't worry, before we get that, we have a nice little sequence of Roche perving on a girl in the plane. Oh yeah, it's so creepy. And then he like he basically says he has to go to the bathroom, but he gets up and he like is walking down the aisle and he starts asking this little girl questions, and it's like so upsetting. Oh, so it's like it makes me like, churning. and it also makes me so scared for like anyone talking to Asher. Ever. That's that's <laughs> why I don't like to watch these things. I know, but we have to. I suppose this so. is the X Files. Yeah. So Mulder essentially takes Roche to that house that you were speaking about. I think this was the the, the lamp, the summer house that we were. We yeah. Saw back so in this the is day. the summer house that is not the original. Right. House. This is going to be the trick yeah. where he says, "Oh." Here we are at the scene of crime scene, scene of the crime. You tell me what happened. And so Roche goes into all that salacious detail and he says, Aha! Mm-hmm. It jokes on you. Didn't happen here. Here's egg all over your face, sir. It yeah. didn't happen here. Exactly. And he basically plans to bring him back to prison, but, um, you know, he has, falls asleep, I guess, <laughs> like has yeah. another dream about Samantha yeah. and then he's gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so because, yeah, he basically has a dream like, oh, he found Samantha and then everything just disappears. And it's, I mean, it's as prophetic, prophetic as well, because when he wakes up, they're gone. I wrote in my notes, I think up to this point, this is the worst thing Mulder has ever it's done. It's pretty bad. Well, I mean, I'm sure he there let- are. A serial killer not only on the loose. Not only that, but he let somebody who is like very clearly not rehabilitated and is going to go out is there. Is in fact relishing in the crimes yes. that he committed. And it has no morality to him at all. Like he let him out loose, basically. And it's when we find out that he has taken his gun and his badge and stolen a little girl from daycare. Oh, God. Yeah, fucked up. <laughs> it's really fucked up. But, and then the woman, the poor lady is like, this is all my fault. This is, and Mulder's like, no, no, this is my fault. And it's yeah, like, thank I, God you're taking ownership. Okay, I will give at least a smidge of kudos to Mulder here for at least being like, he drops the Samantha thing immediately and says, okay, this takes much more precedence. Yeah. A little girl's life is at stake right now. Luckily, Scullery... Scullery. <laughs> the Scullery. Scully, Scullery made. <laughs> Scully and Skinner arrive to help, um, and they're going to go find him. Yeah. This is like a creepy location, by the way. Yeah, so... Well, I was a little confused about the logic here, because Mulder... So Scully says, oh, yeah, Roche used to have, like, sort of a burner An apartment, house here yeah. in Alice Avenue. He goes, yes, because... Of the Mad Hatter, he was inspired by Alice in Wonderland to kidnap young girls. Yeah, I but, think he fixates on young girls. Yeah, I don't think he's inspired by it though. That's what Mulder's no, but I, to. I think that he fixates on young girls, and that the idea of Alice in Wonderland, Alice specifically from Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. is like n- nice to him. Like he likes it because it's a girl. Yeah, so so much so that like he's 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 probably fixated per- on a lot of other things. Purchasing <laughs> property off of his fetishes. Yeah, I suppose. exactly. Like I think that I'm not sure that we can really get in the know of what a pervert serial killer. I would does. not like to personally. No, I'd like to sleep tonight. Uh, but yeah, to your point, essentially where the final scene ends up being is in a, like a decrepit bus depot next to where Roche yeah, lived. Exactly. And so I guess they were just sitting there. I mean, because they said, you know, that Roche was coming for them. So was Roche just sitting there waiting? Yeah. For Mulder? I think he was just running away at that point. And so he is waiting and he basically Mulder finds him because he sees something moving on the um, on the bus. Yeah, but he essentially pulls an ultimatum here, right? He says, hey, if you kill me, you're You'll never, never going to find know. out anything about Samantha. But 
wisely Mulder decides to kill him. It's not yeah. worth it at this point. It is a little bit of a bummer that they don't find that last body because I do feel like that's like kind of um sad for whoever. Yeah, but, yeah, but no, I, it's definitely not worth but it. But I personally don't think this had anything to do with Samantha. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the victim and their families won't have closure. Yeah, but I also think the daddy made an argument before, right? Yeah, before. exactly. It's that we don't know. Yeah, so Mulder shoots him, and uh, it's rough. <laughs> yeah, and there's a the final scene is is them just sort of mulling over everything. Uh, Scully, there's a a fun moment where Scully tells Mulder like, "Hey, why don't you go get some sleep?" And he literally laughs in her face. Yeah, well, because he keeps having all these dreams where like samantha gets abducted and he's also like hey i'm fox Mulder, the guy that typically stays up for like 48 hours straight yeah episodes of the x-files it's true i mean he literally has no bed in his apartment <laughs> and so we spoke about it before but we get this very haunting song playing as Mulder looks over that final cloth heart yeah. i should also mention why is this called paper hearts instead of cloth hearts um i don't know is paper hearts a term like, i think it is hearts out of paper no but i do think that the term paper hearts is a thing um, now I'm looking it up and I misspelled hearts. <laughs> um, Paper Hearts is a song by Tori Kelly. Okay, well, that's <laughs> very much goes after the X-Files. Um, like you make Paper Hearts, book. you know, in, in arts and crafts for like Valentine's Day. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's more of a saying than Fabric Hearts. <laughs> yeah, Fabric Hearts would be a weird episode. It'd be oh, very much like the, the... BTS did a cover song of the Tori Kelly song, Paper Hearts. Wow, this really must be like a big hit then. Paper Real Hearts meaning. Mm. What Paper Hearts mean? Uh, when you're searching and hoping for love, the right person isn't always the first one you come across. That's why sometimes you have to dig sense. in West Virginia to find the I person. I think that, that you might want. just be lyrics from the Tori Kelly song. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're really doing a deep dive on uh, digging up. So, yeah, we don't know anything. Yeah, but <laughs> I agree. Paper Hearts, I think, is more of a thing. It just doesn't it just really sound better. I mean, listen, we talked about a lot of X Files episodes where the titles don't necessarily apply on a one to one basis. Also, I do feel like the Paper Heart is more flimsy and like mm-hmm. there's more like sort of like um, can cut fra- you. fragility to Ooh, it, I maybe. Like that. Uh, and also, I will say that personally, the the haunting children's choir at the end very much reminded me. I know you don't know this because we've had this conversation before, but there's a, a Christmas cartoon uh, that's from London or from the UK called The Snowman. And it has like a, a solemn children's choir. You know how scene. I feel about Christmas cartoons. Yeah, going, we're walking in the air. Stop, so loud. <laughs> it's about a boy who makes friends with the snowman. It's it's one of those things that I'll always remember. It's like This very, is like a little known fact, but I don't love Christmas cartoons. You really? You hate the Claymation? Rank, the no, thank bass. you. I mean, you're not the only one, though. Yeah. Uh, but it's just... It's, it creeps it's me one out. One of the rare things that you and I disagree on. Yeah, you love that shit. But that's all we could... That's all, uh, you know, that puts us on happier notes from the way that things end I here as, so. as we end off two very dark episodes of yeah, the X-Files. very dark. But I do feel like the first one is done in a way that is more um, tragic than dark. Yeah. So and this one is just dark. <laughs> yeah. So Spook of the Week, I think Cigarette Smoky Man has to be the, the one for the first one, right? I suppose, yes. And then uh, Roche, obviously. I mean, Roche might be the biggest Spook, spook. of the Week that's ever spooked. Yeah. No, he's actually scary. Yeah. Like, he's like it, legitimately terrifying. It's funny because when I think about the X-Files, I don't ever think about him, probably because I try to like get it out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. He's not there's the you one want. character that I do think about that we didn't watch that episode, and he's like a creepy like stalker guy who like profiles Scully. Oh, and yeah, tries you told to, me about that one. Tries yeah. to like take, he likes to like wash women's hair. And so he like 
abducts prostitutes and like kills them and like mm-hmm. rips their fingernails off and like really creepy Ugh. shit. Dwayne Barry was pretty creepy too. Dwayne Barry's very creepy. Eugene Toomes is very creepy, but I always think about the ones that are like too real because mm-hmm. the one that I'm talking about happens after Scully's abduction. Like after, yeah. so it's like she's like she's like sensitive still from being and abducted. That, and that's what I find interesting about this episode as well is that this is. I mean, again, you said that there might be some sci-fi aspects to it but no but really it's real it's, it's like space. it's like, svu it's, it's, yeah, it's very it's, much just a, a crime scene investigation and show. i think that's why it hits harder which yeah. is why i think it's a really good episode of the x-files too i mean it's like it touches upon stuff that's more paranormal but it, it no. is embedded in like the heart of what these characters are which it's is incredibly moving. well made and unsettling which is yes. what it's aiming for it's what it's aiming for plus mo- i would say david Duchovny. this is like primo acting like he, he does, does such yeah, a good job he's not given like He's not doing the full sit down and go into this tearful monologue. Like I don't like, I died. also don't like, this is maybe a hot take, but I don't love when he cries. Like, I always mm. feel like it's not as genuine, whereas, like, uh, Jillian Anderson has a really good fake cry. Like, it's very natural looking. Mm-hmm. Mulder has a squinty sort of, like, ugly cry. <laughs> <laughs> She's just able to make tears fall, and All he's right. clearly no, not. No make David Duchovny cry, according to Angela. Maybe I just did. No, but I mean, just in the X-Files so far, we haven't seen an emotional episode from him that wasn't like I don't want to say forced crying, but like no, very much like histrionics. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas this is like, like very internalized, very angry screaming, or he's like weeping. Yeah, obviously. this is like internalized, almost like like depression to an yeah. extent. Yeah, it's like really sad. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll find out about Samantha later on. I'll tell you this: she this wasn't her heart. Yeah. So Spoiler alert: <laughs> not really. <laughs> let's move on here to hopefully. Uh, lighter and better notes next week. So we're only doing one episode, but if I am to be believed, it is a big one. We are doing season four, episode 14, Memento Mori? Yeah, I mean, that's what you say. It's like... Like uh, Mori, like you're not the father? No, Memento Mori is an arts term. And I um, know this because I have a degree in art art history. Um, But it's basically like, it's symbolic reminder of death. Oh, um, so if you ever look at any of these paintings, like um, from like the Renaissance or whatever, and there's like a skull in the corner, it's meant to like yeah, a scully in the corner or like something like that. It's it's basically just meant to like show you that death exists. It's like it's always symbolic of death. So it's a memento mori. It's a reminder that we all die. <laughs> okay. Well, then forget what I said about things they, getting on to a lighter they note. They appear in funeral art a, a lot. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm intrigued as to what that's going to be, considering how death seems to lurk everywhere in the X Files. That is seemingly no different. Well, but. I'll I'll give you a hint. It has a lot to do with Scully. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. So there will be a Scully in the corner. Uh, I'm I'm excited about this. Uh, I hear this is one of like the big episodes of the X-Files. It, a lot happens. Yeah, so that's why I think we're going to focus on it singularly. And the well. episode previous to this we're skipping, which is an episode where a tattoo comes to life. Oh, no! <laughs> so, as, we, as we look at both of our arms. So you'll be happy to know we're skipping the tattoo yeah, episode. Listen, listen, I faced too much real-life stuff in this past week, okay? I yeah. need another one where I fear my tattoo has come to life. Yeah, basically there's like ink in a tattoo and it like it poisons you to hallucinate your tattoo. Too, is like and makes you kill people so oh okay well that's good stuff certainly intriguing well i can't wait to get to season four episode 14 with you next week angela of course if you have any thoughts about these episodes feel free to write in xfiles at postshowrecaps.com bloomfiles at postshowrecaps.com you should also check us out on our patron discord there's some chatter about x files there 
And the reason why I'm pimping out the Discord is for a couple of reasons and the patron program in general. First, it's the start of a new month. And you're going to get a bang for your buck when you enroll in uh, their program at patreon.com slash recaps right at the top, considering that uh, the membership auto renews basically at the beginning of every month. You basically get a full month's worth before things roll over again. But the other big reason is because Josh Wiggler, uh, our Skinner, our man in charge, just announced a new goal. We are only, I believe, 22 patrons away from reaching 500 patrons at the moment, and that is two delicious of a goal to not commemorate with josh wiggler has said if we get to 500 patrons on post show recaps by the end of may he will do a season one rewatch podcast of the show 24 uh 24 if you do not know is one of josh wiggler's he loves it shows uh and so when i talked to him we figured let's put out the the plug here because Maybe some fans of the X-Files that they love the Fox programming would have liked 24 as well. If that appeals to you and you are not yet a patron of Post Show Recaps and you have the means to do so, we'd love to have you. There's a bunch of stuff going on there in addition to all of the patron-only podcasts, and hopefully this 24 podcast will be included in that soon. Again, patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. You can also follow us at postshowrecaps, at a Mike Bloom type, at Ange Pelagi. But that's going to do it for this week. Again, we're going to be back next week covering Memento Mori. Uh, we're a little over halfway through season four, and I'm I'm hopeful that maybe things get a little nope. lighter. Okay, well, I will continue to take out my umbrella and flash it a couple times yeah. uh, as we continue through season. Four. I will say that the the happier episodes are not as good in season four. So, like like I just mentioned, the tattoo one is kind of funny. Well, but I'm, I'm really. happy to to be. Uh, sad when yeah. it comes to watching these things episodes, yeah. especially alongside you so again next week memento mori we'll be back next week talking about that until then case closed